0: If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to Romans chapter 12. We're going to finish what we started last week. Uh, Romans chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to grab one of those if you need to grab one of those. Uh, Borrow it if you need to borrow it. Keep it if you need to keep it. If you have one of those Bibles, we're on page 947. 947, Romans um, chapter 12. Uh, Here we go in verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. These two sermons together, have, we have um, kind of wrapped our minds around and try to uh, get our hands on this, this whole idea that transformation is the heartbeat of everything that, d- that Jesus is doing in the world. Um, he doesn't just want people to uh, change a little bit. He wants them to change radically. And so uh, because uh, we're starting out kind of a new year here and focus, if you, if you will, on, on, on some important things, transformation is right at the very core of that. It's right at the very core. It is why a doctor, when he comes in to check on you, oh, I've got a snotty nose, I've got allergies, I've got whatever, first thing he does is listen to your heart because your snotty nose does not matter if your heart is not beating, right? 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 Thank you so much. Okay. I, and, and indeed, uh, having spent some time uh, in a hospital with a certain cardiac kid of mine, uh, they, in, in, in this little world, they they, didn't, don't, they don't just check right here, they also check all the extremities to make sure that that heartbeat is being felt in, in the farthest places, right? And so the, the, the measure, if you will, uh, of an effective ministry, of an effective program, of an effective anything, is to put your finger on the pulse of that, wherever it is, and say, man, do I feel transformation happening in here? That's the whole thing, okay? Trans- transformation is the heartbeat. It's not only the heartbeat of our church, but the church because it's the heartbeat of the kingdom of God coming in people's lives. So last week we talked about that transformation as, to pick up on his phrase here, a testing that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And when we talked about this, we said that transformation looks a little bit like this. Number one, you would discern what is the will of God. And in other words, when you come to a situation, when you come to a, uh, uh, it's January, we're wearing Long sleeves and it's hot, so i got to get all squared away here. Uh, when you come to a, um, a, a decision point, you would know what is the will of God. Why? Because you are transformed. You, you want what He wants. Uh, the things about you are good and acceptable and perfect, and you, you want those things, and so you would discern what the will of God is. But it's not enough to merely discern, as we use the word discernment to to, uh, decide between one and two, between A and B, whatever it may be. Instead, you also have to do. So transformation looks like discerning the will of God, but also doing the will of God, because it's foolishness. Hear this. It is, I mean, just full-on idiocy um, to say, hey, this is the will of God, and I understand that this way is best, but I'm going to choose this other thing because it looks somehow better to me, easier to me, more comfortable to me, whatever. So it's not a matter of only discerning, it's also a matter of doing, and this is not only what transformation looks like, it's also how transformation takes place, that we both discern and do the will of God. And this gets wrapped up in a statement, if you've been around Heritage Park long, uh, you've heard this statement a lot, we'll say it again uh, this morning, that God doesn't want us to obey, but instead He wants to transform us so that we joyfully and routinely obey, Routinely obey, meaning that we're just kind of uh, a set to go, and whenever we see God saying, hey, this is what is best to do, we go, yep, that's what we're going to do. We just kind of launch off in that direction. Why? Because it's routine for us to obey God. We know that we could obey other things. We know that we could obey passions or, or uh, desires in us. Uh, we, could, we know that we could obey the, uh, the voice of other people to seek their approval. We know that we could obey a hundred other things, but instead we're kind of loaded if you will spring loaded to say hey god we're, we're listening to you and we're going to routinely obey but we just we don't just routinely obey we also joyfully obey because that is what actually draws other people in and makes people say why in the world would you spend a weekend um you know away the weekend the long weekend you could be doing other things why would you go to a church deal why would you host a church people in your house on a weekend that you could be wherever i mean joyfully obey is the thing that draws people in. So this is what transformation looks like. It's also kind of the path forward for that. And so uh, we talked about this uh, very briefly um, last week, that there were three things. We only touched on one. I want to get to the other two um, this morning. If this is going to be true of us, if this is going to be true, uh, we as a people, as a church, are going to experience transformation. It is going to stain us. It is going to mark us. It is going to, if you will, tattoo us. What do we need to do in order to get there? First of all, we need to be soaked in the gospel. So look back in verse 1. I appeal to you therefore brothers and sisters, what is it? by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. That, that's that's where it all begins. If we're going to be a people who are transformed, we need to soak ourselves in the gospel regularly, Regularly going back to this good old, good old time message um, that, that God loves us and that he has sent his son to die for us. And it starts with remembering that God has had mercy on you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. Uh, as we said last week, some people get lost in that word mercy. Maybe it loses a little bit of the punch effect. So just put in the word Pity. Remember that God has had pity on you. Don't, don't, don't forget that, that you're a person that God looked down on and he didn't think, man, I'd love to have you on my team. You're my first pick. I'm going to give you a $72 million contract and watch you throw... Oh, wait a minute. That was. A... Oh, that's too soon, isn't it? Oh, that's too soon. Remember that God had pity on you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. He spent um, uh, the, the, better, the better, he spent all, all the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans saying, Hey, you're a terrible person. And God still has had pity upon you. And how did he demonstrate that mercy? How did he connect his life to your pitiful self? He did so through Jesus. So we not only remember that God had pity on us, uh, but also that Jesus has died for us. While we were yet sinners, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, Jesus died for us. God shows us his love for us in this, that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. There was nothing in you that merited it or warranted it. Instead, God looked down on your life, not only had pity, but sent Jesus to say, hey, there's a distance between you and me that you can't bring back. You can't reconcile. You can't make right. So I'm going to step in and I'm going to be the one to make it right. Jesus steps onto the scene and says, I, Father, will carry." This their sins. I will die for their sins and I will make sure that they have a path of reconciliation between uh, where you are, God, and where they are as sinful people. It's so crucial that we never forget that. Remember that Jesus has died for you because he loves us so much. It's soaked in the gospel. And then, and then, remember that somebody shared this good news with you. That there's a story to be told. And somebody at some point shared that story with you, Uh, a study school teacher, somebody at a good news club, somebody at a youth weekend, a student weekend like we just had, and I've already talked to somebody this morning who came to know Jesus this weekend because somebody was there to tell this story to them. And here's the thing, we've got people in our lives, I've got people in my life that need this story too. I've got people in my life that, that, you've got people in your life who need to hear this good news because the world is a wreck, have you noticed? It is completely jacked. Paul spends the first three chapters of the book of Romans saying, hey, this place is messed up. Every one of us is guilty. Every one of us, red, yellow, black, and white, we're all guilty in God's sight. That's how the song ought to start. And then we can come along with the message, but those same people are dearly loved by God. And folks, you've got people in your world who need to know that this world is a messed up place because of sin. But yet God steps into that world. We got, we got people we need to share it with, just like it was shared with us. We would be soaked in the gospel. It would not only root us in a place, but it, it would then propel us outward um, to those who are around us. So that's step, if you will, number one. That's the first thing that needs to be true of us, is that we need to be soaked in the gospel. The second thing that needs to be true of us, is that we, we live our lives as worship. Look back, if you will, at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, <clears throat> to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There it is, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We would present ourselves to God, all of us. And don't get lost on this whole idea of just your bodies, because you've never done anything without your body present. Did you know that? Did you just... So Paul's saying, come, bring all the the parts of you, bring every part of you, bring your bodies. We're going to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. How how do we do that? We present them, we give them to him. We say, God, here I am, I am giving all of us, every part of us, I am giving every part of me, all of me, all of the stuff, all of the pieces, all of the the plans, all of the feelings, all of the emotions, all the stuff, I'm going to give it all to you. Here's the question that just keeps ringing this morning. Are you sure God wants that from me? Because I've got some stuff that I'm not sure he wants. Three conversations this morning for me. Three conversations in between, uh, the, uh, in between about 9.30 um, and 10.55. Three conversations of people who are dealing with anger towards God. And because they have anger towards God, they think that they should cut off communication with God. Here's my question if that's you this morning or if you know that person this morning. Do you think God knows that you're you're angry at Him? Yes. Do you think it's better then to run from Him or to talk to Him about that? Do you think you're going to roll up on God with all of this anger and say, hey God, uh, by the way, I'm not real sure I love how this went and so I'm pretty frustrated right now with you. I'm not sure we're on good terms. And God's going to go, I've been following you on Twitter. I never saw that come up. (laughs) Hashtag God surprise, you know. The question of do I really think God wants all of this is answered right here. I urge you. Did you hear that? I urge. I'm pleading with you, Paul say. I'm pleading with you. I urge you, because of God's unbelievable, infinite mercy towards you and towards me, would you present your bodies, all of who you are, as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. Well, are you sure he wants it? He wants it all. He's urging you this morning, pleading with you this morning, calling you this morning to say, give all of you to God. Well, what would that look like? It means surrendering every part of who you are to Him. It's a sacrifice. You're giving every part of you to Him. There's a legend, whether or not it's verifiable. It's uh, you know not really the point. It makes for a good story. Uh, the knights, as they were getting ready to go on the Crusades in the Middle East, uh, in the Middle Ages, um, they would baptize them. But the, the legend goes, as the knights were being baptized, as they went down into the water, they would hold their sword up. So you can just imagine this up here, right? Like we're getting ready to baptize sir whomever, and he we're going we to stick him down in the water, and about the time you say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he goes down in the water, and up, up, up comes the sword, so that the sword doesn't get baptized. And you can just picture that, and then think about the implications of that and what it meant for them. And let me ask you this. What would it mean for you? When we say, God, we're going to present ourselves to you, what would you grab? What would you be tempted to grab and hold up above the water? Okay, God, I'm ready. I don't have my cell phone. here. Okay, God. What would it be for you? Presenting ourselves to God means we're giving Him everything. Everything. And He says here, it's the only reasonable response. He says, that the, which is your spiritual worship? Some of you may have translations that say, which is your uh, reasonable service or your, your reasonable worship to God. That's one, that's one way to think about this. Uh, it, it's the only reasonable response. In, in light of all of the mercy that God's shown us, in light of all of the things that He's put on display for you and me, what are you, this is our only reasonable response. It's the only thing that makes any sense. Uh, how many of you got a really awesome gift at Christmas? I mean, really awesome. Like really awesome. Kate, what'd you get? You went to the Biltmore. Awesome. You, you open to having an adoption or anything? I just need, your family sounds real. OK. OK, when you got that gift, what, what did you Did you? You jump up and down, did you do something? Uh huh. You were over the moon. Did you maybe turn to mom who made it happen and say like, thanks or anything? I mean like, you did, you told her thank you. That's good, that's good, just like that. I mean, you you played it cool, you're like, oh, that's cool mom, thanks. That's No, no, you're a little bit more excited than that? Uh, A couple hundred times of thank you. Why? Because when we get a great gift, we not only enjoy the gift as it comes to us, but it's appropriate to say thanks. Jumping up and down saying thanks 200 times or so, right? Get something like that. And indeed, in light of all of the mercies that God has given us, in light of all of the gifts that he's given us, all the blessings that he's given us, what is the most appropriate response? Worship. A life as worship. Not not. Not in a, uh, a, a segmented sort of worship that says, hey, Sunday morning, hey, Collide weekend, hey, whatever. When we sing here in just a minute about Jesus is better, right? We're going to sing that. We're going to celebrate that. Glory in the power of, of that statement. But we also believe that Jesus is better on Tuesday when we're not in here singing. Our life is worship our life is reflective of saying thanks but why because it's the only reasonable response and some of you are hearing like yeah you know what it'd be great to give jesus some worship today but i'm just telling you the place where i am i'm not so sure that worship is my best response in light of the things that are going on in light of the troubles that are happening here but what about in the midst of trials what am i supposed to do how am i supposed to reasonably respond with a life as worship In the midst of trials, can we can we back up a couple of chapters? Look at Romans chapter eight. Look at verse eighteen with me, please. Romans eight verse eighteen. For I consider, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Did you catch that? Um, The sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing to what's coming. The bad stuff that's happened then or is happening now is not worth comparing. Is it still bad? Yes. Paul didn't say, hey, this suffering, it's not real pain. Hey, there's no real. Th-. No, he saying, oh, no, no, no. These are sufferings and they're real. They're just not worth comparing that, that the glory is to come. In other words, the things that we are leaving behind and going through now, they're not worth comparing to the things that are to come. How do you have a life that's marked by worship even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of struggle? You say, this stuff now, boy, it's tough, but it's not worth comparing to the stuff that's coming. We got so much better ahead of us than we ever have behind us. What you're leaving doesn't compare with what you're gaining. What you're setting aside, what you're losing doesn't compare with what you're gaining. So even in the midst of trials, the only reasonable response is a life that's worship. And lastly, we need to be soaked in the gospel, need to have our life as worship, but also, we need to be re- renewed in our mind. Read on, verse two, chapter 12, verse two. Don't be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, the renewal of your mind. Well, what does this look like? Well, two things. Number one, that we would be soaked uh, excuse me, we would consume the Bible. We would, be, we would consume the Bible instead of, um, <coughs> excuse me, instead of uh, being conformed to the world. We would be people who consume the Bible instead of being conformed to the world. W- why? Well, number one, the Bible helps us with what we think about. If the renewal of our minds is a step towards transformation, it's one of the things that needs to be in our lives in light of this call to this heartbeat of transformation. Then we need to be renewed in our minds in order to do that. We we need to consume the Bible, not, not conform to this world. All sorts of information, all sorts of inputs come in. May we be people who consume the Bible. I mean, just voracious in, in how we take this in, carnivorous even in how we take it in. Why? Because it shapes what you think about. It shapes what you think about. Um, some people, but because the Bible is the Bible, some people are willing to dismiss it uh, as if Jesus doesn't have anything to say today. Here's the thing. He's not just God. He's also smart. You get that, right? He's not just God. He's also smart. So you've heard me say this before, others too, that he has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. So because he has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life, where are we going to find those? Right here. That's why we need to be people who consume uh, the Bible instead of being conformed to the world. It it shapes what we think about. Uh, All weekend long, uh, these students have heard this message, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. He's not only better, his way is also better. And so when it comes to... um, uh, uh, Jesus and, and this way of thinking, this, this, uh, uh, this content, this what, if you will, um, you just need to know his way is better. If he's better, his way is also better. And you can put that in any sphere of life. Um, is his way of handling money better than your way? Yes. Is his way of uh, do, doing ethics better than your way? Yes. Is his way of understanding sexuality better than your way? Yes. Is his understanding of uh, um, uh, relationships better than your way? Yes, it is. Well, I I just don't know if he's got something to say to me. He does. You just got to be in here. You've got to be in here. Consume the Bible, and it will shape what you think about. It will shape what you think in any scenario. Uh, And so let me just ask this question. Uh, If you had to identify... If you had to identify right now the worst input that you're receiving, what would that be? The the place where the most, not not negative, but just untrue things come, what would that be? And then why in the world are you still listening? Can I just make a confession? This is a true statement. I had to turn off talk radio for a long time. You know why? Why? Because they were angry white people. i listen still listen to talk radio. I'm not talking to you. I'm confessing me. Here's the deal. I, I want to be a person who's consumed with the kingdom of God. I want to be a person who, who's, uh, whose life is shaped by the Bible and the things that are said there. And so the most dangerous input for me for a long time was that. So at some point, I just had to turn that sucker off. What's your most dangerous input right now? And what do you need to do about it? So not only does consuming the Bible shape what we think about, but secondly, it also shapes how we think. Uh, The worldview that we hold filters all the information that comes our way and it assigns it, uh, it it places it, and then it assigns it a value. And there are two kind of dangers that come with this. If our worldview isn't shaped by the Bible, not only the content uh, uh, of what we think about, but how we think. There are two dangers. Number one is this whole idea of retreat. Well, I don't particularly like talking to those people because they believe differently than me. They talk differently than me. They think differently than me. Um, And so I, I just don't know what to do. With that. So I'm just going to retreat into my little enclave here. I'm just going to fortress. I'm going to build myself a big wall around me. Uh, Don't do that. The tendency, although the tendency is to withdraw because of what is being said, um, instead, because the Bible teaches us how to think, we can appropriately filter that, uh, place it, and assign it value. So this week, um, sitting down with uh, a a young man at Esteban's having some Mexican food, and uh, having a conversation about spiritual things and important things, and uh, he, he jumps up on a particular hot-button issue uh, in our society today, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, biblically, you know, this, this, and this is the case, and we kind of go round and round about that, very cordial, uh, very thoughtful, very, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and um, at some point I said, hey, listen, but, but I mean, really, that's in some senses a peripheral issue um, because uh, the, the, the issue is, is if Jesus died and if he rose again, then I'm going to follow him and believe what he says. Well, when you put it that way, this is what he said, when you put it that way, all the rest of this could come into line if I believe that. Bingo. Because you and I, instead of retreating, what we're called to do is learn how to think how to assign uh, something, how to assign an input, an information thing, um, how how to uh, give it a value, how to place it appropriately, and then how to help others do the same. We're sitting there having a conversation over chips, hot sauce, and enchiladas because I'm trying to help him think through this and think through his spiritual questions. And he came down to it, hit the nail on the head where he's like, you know what, if that's true about Jesus, then all of the rest of this I, I, we'll just come into line. That's exactly right. That conversation doesn't happen if I'm backing up and retreating because I'm scared of what might be said. I also have to step out and know how to think so I can help others to think. That's the danger uh, of of withdrawal. Not just Instead, what we do is we stand right in the middle of a broken and self-destructive world and we proclaim hope in Jesus and surrender to Him. Why? Because of the cross and because of the resurrection. Consume the Bible. Don't conform to the world. Secondly, dwell with God. Dwell with God. Don't feed on distractions. Um, the, The average American checks their social media 17 times a day. Now, I don't check social media 17 times a day, which means some of you are way higher than 17. A couple of you don't have social media. That puts the average, you you know what I mean? Like that's a... What if, I I told this to the 830 service kind of on the fly. What, What if on the lock screen on your phone was pray before you and then insert your favorite social media. Pray before you Facebook for you older folks. Pray before you Snapchat for you younger folks. What if that was your lock screen? What if every time you pulled your phone out to check social media, you said, hey, listen, I'll I'll still check it here, but I'm going to take a second and say, hey, God, I just want to say thanks for the day, pray for that guy, pray for that girl, pray for that conversation. I just want to put something before. I want to turn my mind to you. Why? Why is it important to turn our minds to him? Because Colossians 3 says this, that we should set our minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. Set our mind on what's ultimate, what's real, what's most important. And let that shape the perspective of all the other stuff. Dwell with Him. Don't feed on distraction. The world will offer all sorts of distractions for you and for me. Instead, dwell with Him. Sometimes God grabs our attention and just shakes us um, such that we, we can't miss Him. Sometimes though, we have to intentionally um, uh, turn our attention toward Him. This is the verse that I quoted during our prayer time earlier, Psalm 16, verse 8. Write this down and go look it up later. Psalm 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Set the Lord continually. That's my doing. That's my choice. That's my discipline. Sometimes God grabs our attention and we can't. We're not going to miss it. Sometimes, though, I have to discipline myself to set my other stuff down and set God before me so that He is the one that I see. I have to discipline myself to make sure to spend time in prayer. Discipline myself to make sure that I give Him the praise that He's due. I have to dwell with Him instead of feeding on distractions. And please don't set these in opposition to one another. Prayer and the Bible, Bible and prayer, they go together. These are strands in the same rope, if you will, that keep us tethered um, tethered to God. And the importance of consistency can't be um, overstated here. Why? Because um, Prayer in a Bible, prayer in a Bible, Bible in prayer, Bible in prayer. This is the consistent rhythm of that. One of my prayers for you, you just got to know, uh, for all you gray-shirted awesome kids in here, listen, one of my prayers for you um, over the weekend, and, and even this morning when I got up early, is that uh, this wouldn't just be a weekend for you, but a start, a start of something, where you, where you begin to walk this out, and don't let the enemy steal away. And you don't let uh, the, the, the trials that you are going back to um, wither you. And you don't let the uh, worries of this world grow up and choke out what God's done. You would just walk this out. Dwell with Him. Don't feed on destruction. And do so consistently. Do so consistently. Uh, why this? Why prayer in the Bible, Bible and prayer? Why being renewed in the mind? Here, here's why. We're, we're done. Second Corinthians 3:18 says this. I think it's going to pop up here. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. Check that. Like we're going to see the glory of the Lord. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, there's our word, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's a process, one degree of glory to another. But we do that by beholding the glory of the Lord. The Bible and prayer, prayer and the Bible, were renewed in our minds and are changed by spending time with Him. In other words, uh, what we behold is what we become. And so to set God before us, to spend time in the Word, to spend time in prayer. What we behold is what we become. That is the process that God uses to transform us. So may it be true of us. Students, listen to me. May it be true of you. What God started this weekend, may He bring to completion. Let's pray together, and then we'll have some time to respond.